Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 79 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and what matters on this episode is still, funnily enough, the US Open, as well as a bit of a check-in on what's happened to the mid-year point of 2018. Joining me to help break down what's been good, bad, and ugly about golf so far, analyst, writer, critic, blogger, podcast host, and Golf Channel regular, Jeff Shackleford. Jeff, your list of jobs continues to grow every time we chat to you. Great to have you on board today. Uh, great to be back. We have a lot to kick around. There's plenty to kick around. And from down here in Australia, course architect, commentator, critic, former touring professional, Mike Clayton. Clayton, to have you. good to have you on board today. You've been a busy man, obviously, with the passing of Peter Thompson in the past week. Lots of people calling on you for thoughts and stories, including us. Good to have you on board today. Thank you, Rod. Uh, right, let's start with the US Open. Shaq, you obviously were on site. We've had a couple of weeks now to digest what unfolded. They're leaving aside the tournament itself and some of the issues there. There might be some lasting effects from this. I know that a couple of people down here have suggested to me, and I've seen online a couple of times, Shaq, time for the USGA to step aside and somebody else to take over. Yeah. Sounds like an extreme reaction. What's uh, what's going on in the golf world in the US? What's the take on what happened at the US Open? It was it, The fallout is continuing, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I, I'm fascinated by the number of times it's been brought up to me from people who you would expect who really are into this kind of stuff and, and the governing bodies and course setup and the distance discussion and the, uh, I mean, everything, the new rules of golf coming out this fall to people who know nothing about any of this, who want to talk about it. And, uh, but who had some, yeah, some sense of what had happened last time in Shinnecock or what's been happening with the U S open in general. So it's been fascinating to me, uh, how extreme some of the opinions have been and um, how much damage this Open did to the USGA. And then, I mean, I would be curious what you guys think. I, I've just been stunned that they really did nothing to get out in front of it after the Open. You know, my my first reaction would have been for Mike Davis to say, um, you know, we, a couple like Phil, a couple days later, uh, say, hey, uh, rough week for us. Uh, I get, you know, what people said. And, and uh, you know, we have the U.S. Amateur at Pebble Beach coming up. And Jeff Hall and, and uh, uh, others will be doing the setup there. And um, I'm going to step back and they're, let them do the, uh, the amateur and then take their, their setup uh, to the U.S. Open next year and, and handle it. And just so that I'm not a story next year going into Pebble Beach. And I think... That would have been really good at kind of of uh, stemming some of this this bleeding, and instead they've just kind of done nothing like that. And I think it's that it just seems to be the constant chatter. Uh, and then just something like John Daly happens, and it, it just they just kind of have this this drumbeat of, of negative uh, attention, and they just don't know how to deal with it. Uh, I mean, I think they have people internally who know how to deal with it. I, I'm, but I'm saying on the, on the public relations side. But I'm not sure if the leadership understands just what kind of damage, at least in my view, this is going to make it very hard for them to do anything about distance. I think it's even going to make the rollout of the new rules this fall difficult. Is that what you guys said? There's a drumbeat, isn't there, Clates? I think we hear it. We're obviously at a distance a bit further away. First of all, Clates, what was your take on the US Open? And is is there potentially long-term damage to the USGA and their credibility from what unfolded at Shinnecock Hills. Did you think it was as bad as some people seem to think? Yeah, because it determined what happened in the tournament. At the Open Championship, yeah. the wind can make a golf course much more difficult, but it's 
it's the wind that's causing that. It's not that the golf course changes that much. I mean, you can go from hitting a drive a nine iron to a par four to a drive a three iron, but it's not the condition of the greens that changes that much that it changes the golf course. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what I thought was it's the ultimate manifestation of a ball that's out of control and an organisation that's determined that 280 is going to win the tournament. Uh, you've completely got to distort the dimensions of the golf course to achieve that with the golf ball the way it is. You've got to have holes that are extra long. Uh, Narrow-ish fairways, even though they weren't that narrow. High rough and and crazy greens. And, of course, once you get crazy greens, they're on the edge and you're always in danger of them tipping over. And we've seen that here in Australia. One of them I was involved with at Victoria a few years ago, fairness. Mm -hmm. But... If you're that close to the edge, you're always at the mercy of tipping over if the weather changes just a little bit. And they knew the forecast was coming. I mean, you just have to be conservative and sensible. And, and, I, and I saw someone on Twitter who said, well, you know, the greens were dead at Pearl Beach in 72 and the rough was ridiculous at Wingfoot in 74 and the rough was crazy at Oakmont in 83 and Shinnecock in 2004 was a, a, a mess and the last day there, and their take was, well, it's just the US Open, get over it. And I don't think that's good enough anymore. I think you've got to start getting this stuff right because, you know, the PGA, have, well, as boring as the PGA setup can be, they normally get that pretty, you know, that's never controversial. And the Open generally gets it pretty right too, apart from Carnoustie in 99 and Turnberry in 86. They've generally got the course set up right and done it pretty well. And they don't care if 19 under par wins because, the, the winning score is determined by the conditions. And mm. by the conditions, I mean the weather. Mm. D- does the USGA more broadly, have they been damaged by what happened? I, uh, to me, I think, Clades, from the outside, the problem is there was so much hype beforehand and Mike Davis got out and said, 2004 will not happen again. Now, it didn't happen for the whole week, but on Saturday afternoon, 2004 happened again. What does that do to the credibility of the organisation, which is responsible for so much more than the US Open? But when they get the showpiece so wrong like that, what's the potential ongoing damage? Do you as a golfer, what do you think about the USJ? Are they, are they, are they as some people say, incompetent and need need to be replaced by another organisation? You're asking me? Yes, you. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, um, well, I think they've proven their incompetence by their mishandling of the uh, equipment debate. You know, they've let the game get... It's slightly off track, but it's that you know they've let the game get completely out of control by their inaction over the last twenty years. I mean, that's what's that's ultimately their biggest failure. I mean, you can screw up a U.S. Open every now and then and seemingly get away with it, but uh, but if you keep doing it, then of course that's the public face of the of, of what they do, and you know the nerdy guys like us who care about the equipment don't matter so much. But when the public start thinking, you know, this is a farce. But, of course, there's a core of people who love to see that. They love to see Mm. the pros shoot high scores and struggle and play badly and make themselves look like hackers. But the golf course should be the the story at the start of the week because it's such a great golf course. But by the the time the tournament starts, the tournament's got to be the story, not the golf course. Will this blow over, Shaq? I don't think it will. I just don't again see any attempt on their part to get out in front of it and then you have uh so you have two other things coming you have uh now people 
Uh, the, here's one I've, I've heard all the time, and I don't I don't say anything to bring it up. It just comes up. I've heard this a solid five or six times since the U.S. Open. Uh, wh- why are they Why are they doing this nonsense study on the distancing? We all know they've already made up their mind. They know what they want to do. They they're not going to be influenced by this. Why don't they just do it? And it just shows how weak they are that they don't just go out and do it. I, I literally from just different kinds of people have heard that same reaction so you have that so they're weakened on that front and then the the the, the rules of golf changes that are going to come out i think will just again if they don't do anything to get in front of some of these issues and do something to establish some some credibility again um and the rna certainly getting in the limelight now will help uh maybe take some of the focus off but i just see lots of problems with that that new rules rollout if they uh, are not viewed as as credible and and ultimately i i'm also kind of sensing that the the rules of golf change that 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 the out of bounds thing that was a change is 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 now being thought through by a lot of golf courses and they're not going to invoke the local rule on that uh and 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 that was a bifurcation element by the way so you're going to keep having this ki- kind of uh, and maybe in a, maybe in a backdoor way they're going to they're going to promote bifurcation by people just saying, hey, you know what, why, why don't we just have relaxed rules for everybody? Uh, and then the pros just play by more intricate rules. And uh, you, you, people just kind of may come to that conclusion naturally, I, which I think would be, um, uh, I don't think it's intentional on their part, but it could be interesting. Isn't the problem uh, though, Shaq, this, this, this hanging on to, one set of rules for everybody. Yeah. It makes sense yeah. in every way except for the equipment. And I think most golfers would accept that. We all know how much better than us the pros are now. We've never been exposed to so much viewing of the talents that they have. And I think pretty much any recreational golfer would tell you straight up, of course they already play a different game. They should have different equipment for it. Why don't they take that tack? What is the appeal of hanging on to this one set of equipment rules? I understand the rules for the game, and I think you're right. The out-of-bounds thing has been very controversial, which surprises me. Um, you'd have thought most people would say, well, that's a good idea, but why do they hang on to it so tightly for the equipment? It just, that doesn't seem to make any sense and it doesn't happen in any other sport. They, they just are in love with the idea that we all play the same game under the same rules with the same equipment and they, they don't see any scenario where uh, separating things is is anything but a disaster for them, yet we have a lot of rules now that, that do separate the two of course they do. Sports, uh, two games and and this mo- and the and the adjustment in the new rules on out of bounds was the most blatant one yet that i've i've seen mm. and uh it, it just is um it's it's one of those things too where where the the new rules will i i think they're going to fall a little bit flat um I, you know people kind of mock some of the things that, that are the changes um but again we haven't really seen the actual printed language in depth to see how that's all presented and that's all going to by the way sneak up on us oh, and, big time. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be an yeah, awful lot of rules I, infractions I, on january 2 2019 yeah, i can I assure you i floated the idea with with um, some some gentlemen at the usj and rna and i'm probably going to write a column because i still feel strongly about it they they made a very good case why this wouldn't work but i said why aren't we you know having the hero world challenge or or a European tour event and, or maybe a, even a PJ tour fall event, uh, uh, played under the new 
rules so that and make it part of the telecast and make it educational and i think it'd be really interesting and people would enjoy uh the opportunity to see the, the professionals uh in action and uh they they just explained there were too many complications i sense they actually probably they were probably in a nice way trying to tell me uh, that they had floated this idea wasn't on board I do remember. I do remember now. In hindsight, something about uh, FedEx Cup points being mentioned and world ranking points, and the, the, the suggestion. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. The only thing that matters in the world. The suggestion, probably from a tour that uh, that God forbid we we play some tournament uh, like the Hero World Challenge, where world ranking points are are in action, and they played under different rules. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that our we don't get to know enough about behind the scenes of, of what in defense of the RNA and USGA, what they have to deal with, with the PGA tour and PGA of America and European tour. And, but that's an important thing to think about because when you have a U.S. open, like we just had, and they're weakened, it, it further weakens them and then further emboldens the players or those tours to kick in that little drumbeat of, uh, well, maybe we should make our own rules and maybe we shouldn't let them tell us uh, how to regulate equipment and things like that. So, is, so this, the entire thing is just yeah. is snowballing in a poor direction. Now, isn't this the problem for the PGA Tour, Shaq? Whilst, they, whilst Jay Monahan is out front saying they don't think distance is a problem, the last thing they want is to be lumbered with making their own rules because, as we've seen with the USGA and the RA, there's no victory in being in charge of the rules, no. is there? You can't win. No. doesn't matter what you do. It's a no-win situation. No. So it's always been a wonderful no. relationship that no. they can they can blame others. Just to go back a couple of steps, is there any – I mean, we're hearing a lot of it and maybe it's just because it's only just happened. What is the, what is the real possibility of some kind of – well, whether the USGA morphs into a different organisation or that we see some change at the top? It would feel, much as I quite like him, I certainly like the way he talks. His actions haven't been as good. I like Mike Davis. It would feel like his position must be almost untenable. Are you hearing anything about that in the background, the politics of, uh, of the USGA? going Because they really are in a bit of trouble. I mean, the, he went on TV – publicly apologized on Saturday afternoon. I've never heard the likes of it, Shaq. How did that go? Yeah. Uh, well, I thought he handled it as well as you could handle mm-hmm. something like that in in trying to, uh, especially, you know, as somebody who studied 2004 for the feature we did, where they dug in and dug in, and, and then at the end of the tournament had the audacity where the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the outcome of the tournament was impacted. You know, Phil Mickelson has been very nice over the years yeah. To not point out that he double bogeyed the, the the seventh hole on Saturday of that event because he putted off the green because that green needed water and, and and wasn't functional and just like that event they did it again this year um, it, it wasn't quite as brazen but I, they didn't get out uh, well they never apologized for that one in 2004 so I mean that was a that was a big step that he did it um, but I, I'll be honest I I think the thing that that kind of quietly undercut their credibility more, believe it or not, than, the, than what happened with the course setup, which I believe was really more that that golf course just changes so much from the beginning of the day to the end of the day that they just that's really what they didn't learn from as much as is it being a whole location issue. But I think the fact that they could not bring themselves to even – verbally condemn Phil Mickelson mm. for what he did on the golf course. Maybe maybe say, hey, look, this is a strict reading of the rules. 
and you could certainly make their case for that fine. But we certainly don't like what we saw and what he did, and we feel like that really came right up to the edge of a serious breach of etiquette, and we sure hope he, nobody thinks that that is behavior that is acceptable in the U.S. Open. They could not do that. They practically defended him. Yeah, and 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 I think there are a lot of people out there who just said, "Wow, what, I mean, what? What? You can't even give him a little slap?" But it's it's they were in such a compromised position with the golf course and and just with the way so many things are going that um, I, I guess they just didn't feel a need to, want, to do that. Didn't want to Imagine how differently that could have played out, Shaq. If, if Mickelson had walked off the course and instead of trying to be the smartest man in the room, had just said, "Listen, if they want to make it a carnival, I'll be the clown." that thing would have played out completely differently, wouldn't it? And uh, wouldn't have been to the USGA's favour. We'll come back to the Mickelson thing in a minute because that's unfolded in an interesting way as well. But, Clayton, I wanted to come back to you first. You played professional golf for a long time, including lots of open tournaments, generally run by amateur bodies. What's the relationship historically like between professional and amateur golf? Is this just quite normal? I mean, we do hear it from, especially around US Open time, pros saying that, you know, they should be in charge of their own game. The USGA are amateurs. They shouldn't be allowed to run tournaments. Is that a a generally accepted thing amongst pros or do most of the amateur bodies who set up tournaments get it pretty right? They probably do. There's always a natural, well, there certainly was in Australia a natural antipathy between the pros and what was the old Australian Golf Union because the head of the Australian Golf Union and Graham Marshall was the head of the players organisation never got on. They were always butting heads and certainly the head of the amateurs would always, you know, if Marshies wanted 50 players in the field that they'd, t- they'd tell us we could have 40 and you know, they just <laughs> they butted heads on everything but you know when pros do oh, the RNA this and the RNA that you, you would hear that but I think the pros in Europe certainly respected how the RNA set up the Open and um, but there was always that Lee Chirino image of the, the dandruff on the collar and the tomato sauce on the tyre whatever it was uh, you know the bunch of um, <laughs> the gin yeah. sipping you know Blue Blazer yeah, set. What well, well, the gins have been funny days are out of touch with the game, but you know they, they generally did a pretty reasonable job, I think. But as I said, there was always that natural antipathy between pros and the amateur body. And heading back, no doubt, to the time when pros were seen as servants and mm-hmm. lowly paid yep. Sort of yep. underclass. Yeah, which has all changed with the money they make now. But you know the times of. But they're well, still, Clay's, it's still there. They still, yeah, I mean, when somebody, yeah. come, I mean, Maverick McNeely came along and and the USGA group in that world would actually openly discuss, you know, he might, we might finally have one. We have one that might <laughs> remain amateur. an amateur as if, you know, he, he was moving from, um, you know, from, from motion picture acting to pornography, you know, like yeah. The, yeah. It, it's incredible. And you just sit there and go, my gosh, he's just, you let you let everybody get free equipment and dress like a professional and get scripted clothes, but somehow somebody who might not do that is somehow noble. I mean, it's just the most bizarre. It still exists. Mm. It's it's just bizarre. Yeah. Surely it's in the minority now, though, Shaq. I mean, we've, we've advanced. Surely we've, we've advanced. Less so, but it's still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, still I appreciate there. that. Yeah. Kate, so I wanted to get your take on Mickelson as a player. Uh, lots of players were particularly unhappy with what he did, and you know we all know that lots of play- lots of people unhappy with the eventual outcome. But as a player, what was your take on what he did there? What would other players be saying to him in the locker room? Do you think? 
Yeah, well, you're asking someone who's the only person who's ever done anything stupider than him <laughs> on the kind of putting cream. <laughs> um, At least yours well, wasn't deliberate. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I understand, the rule says you can't stop or deflect the ball, uh-huh. correct? It does. Right. Yes. So how, how and by, by any definition did he not stop or deflect mm. the ball? Yeah. I mean, he stopped the ball from going where it was going to go to, and he, and he clearly... He did, uh, it, with stroke, of, uh, he did it with a stroke, Clades. He did it with a stroke, that's right. So um, I can't – I mean, I spoke to Andrew Langford-Jones, who's the head rules official here yesterday, and he couldn't believe he wasn't disqualified. Yeah. And he'd spoken to RNA and USGA guys who were trying to, you know, in his view, worm their way out of it by tr- trying to make excuses up for him. But he said, if that had happened in Australia, there's no way I would have let him play the next day. No. So you're out. Yeah. Like, I, but then I just had the point that, if you were paying a million dollars to beat the Australian <laughs> Open that and not far out, then I perhaps think that might change your mind. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that's not something the US need to worry about. But, of course, it sets just a horrible precedent. Mm. You know, you know, and then kids, you know, I mean, it's a joke now. You're just doing a Phil Mickelson that has become the latest joke in golf, really. I'm sure at every club that someone's brought it up, but every single club in the world has been brought up somewhere about just do a fill and stop it. Yeah. So, it was just, and and if he tried, to, you know, here's the master of spin. But if he tried to spin it by saying, "I was an idiot, I lost my head, and I'm going to withdraw from the tournament and donate my money to charity," then he would have come out of it on the right side of it. Yeah. But he tried oh, yeah. to yeah. make a joke of it, and he looked like a complete goose by the end of it. Telling people to toughen up. I mean, that was a huge mistake. I think. Yeah, that, that was so. one I went. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, he could have got away with the Curtis Strange interview, but to walk over to that pack of press people and tell them to toughen up that was a bit harsh would other players be saying something to, you, to him do you think Clades? I mean obviously he has a standing in the game well above most would anybody have the the kahunas to say something to Mickelson I mean Westwood was didn't hold back on Twitter obviously um, do you reckon he'll get blowback from the players which is probably I mean it, it won't taint his legacy completely will it he's done so much good for the game being a great entertainer whether you're a fan of him or not he's done everything a professional golfer should do in that sense, but uh, it certainly takes a little nick out of his credibility, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean it'll blow over, but yeah, yeah it was. I mean, I, and you don't. I mean, who knows what the players say to him? I mean, who's going to walk up and say you're an idiot? But I mean, I guess he knows what everyone thinks. Mm. The the damage control is interesting, isn't it, Shaq? It, it, he clearly realised after a couple of days that it wasn't going away. He tried to take a stand thinking that that might be, but it hasn't. Um, first of all, with the group text to a bunch of writers, which was an interesting way to handle it, not taking any questions. Then, of course, he did an interview with the Golf Channel where he said, one day he hopes we can all laugh about it. Is that a forlorn hope on Phil's part? <laughs> I suspect it is. Oh, well, it's all... Uh, again, at least he's getting out in front of it mm. and realising the error of his ways and... Um, I I, uh, I admire him for at least doing that. So I th- I do think that's possible, and and I think that's why I mentioned what I mentioned about the USGA mm. and and uh, not getting out in front of what happened with them seems to have this uh, sort of these back the back channel chatter just just continuing to build. Uh, whereas yeah, I think what Phil's done will help uh, make it go away. I think it also has helped make clear to anybody who might think about employing this tactic, like we've seen with backstopping, um, where it almost has been encouraged and it has been, uh, uh, has festered because nobody's been truly humiliated or, 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 uh, told it's a, it's a big mistake. Uh, this, I think the way he's uh, going about it is the most important thing is you kind of sense now that, even though Spieth and McElroy said they they laughed at it, 
Um, and there are still a lot of people out there who want to let you know this is not a big deal. I think the message has gotten out pretty clearly that uh, nobody uh, needs to see this happen in golf. And, and if you do it, you're really, uh, <laughs> you're really asking for trouble, yeah. I think. I was a bit surprised by the Spieth and McElroy response, to be honest with you, Shaq. Yeah. We, is there a change yeah. in the way people look at I mean, clearly oh, they're sure. younger than yeah. us. Is that, is that just yeah. a change? Because that's not a healthy place for golf to go, is it? And well, for those two in yeah, particular who are generally smart, I would have thought. Yeah, and those two, that's, that, that really caught me off guard with those two because they're both smart. Uh, they both are aware of golf history and they're aware of image and – and they're, they're, they take very seriously their ability to influence kids and, and how much any little thing they do influences younger players. So it really surprised me. Now, again, they're asked that in press conference settings, mm. and Phil is somebody they, they see a lot and they don't want to deal with uh, you know, calling him out. I don't think they would have done that, but I, I, I'm still surprised – um, that they that they gave that reaction and mm. felt like that was uh, an appropriate thing. But you know, we've as we know with the the backstopping thing, we've kind of gotten the same shoulder shrugging kind of of thing on that, and and it really is perplexing um, that they don't kind of think it through uh, and how those things could be perceived or um, or how they could really play out in a bad way. Now, that said, they're they're golfers and they're out there on the course in the heat of the battle and whatever. Uh, they're not paid to think. What I think is more <laughs> alarming is that you have the PGA Tour, the USGA. When these things are coming up, uh, that they're not the ones thinking two or three steps ahead and saying, uh, wait a second, we, we, we can't go there. And not to go down a rat hole because, you know, I was out playing golf when, when the uh, Clates and Jimmy Walker thing. Got <laughs> One of the old-time great ask, exchanges, yeah. Um, I did ask for John Bodenhammer of the USGA if he would spend some, a few minutes with me, and I knew he was busy and I didn't want to do it. But when Jimmy said what he said and then gave the interview to the Golf Channel, I said to the USGA spokeswoman, I said, uh, do you think it's something he would be willing to comment? And she goes, almost oh, definitely. And I was like, oh, great. Well, then they, they kind of want to you know, put the word out that they didn't think that was very cool. It was the opposite. Uh, we had a long chat, and we, we went nowhere. And he just, I said, do you see this as a teaching moment for you guys to kind of put an end to this? And he just really reiterated repeatedly that they need to see each example and talk to the players and better understand it. And, and there was just a, a complete refusal to acknowledge that either it was a bad trend or that maybe moments like what Jimmy said gave them an opportunity to remind players. Surely he incriminated himself. Just, he said outright, I'd do it on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what I kept out. Like, and so it, it, um, wow. it's disturbing that, and, it, and where it's going to get in the sport in big trouble now is uh, very soon in the United States, is, there are going to be a lot of different ways to gamble on golf. And golf is being seen as a sport uh, with huge upside uh, potential gambling-wise. DraftKings and uh, entities like that see golf as really number two potentially in terms of being betting-friendly. And it's just not going to take much when people watch and go, well, wait a second. Mm. 
hey, 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 that guy left his ball down and it stopped the ball and that cost me money. And what is that about? Or Phil does what he does. And I mean, these, if if they aren't careful, Mm. they're going to either have some very angry betters or it's going to, this, this dream they have of making a lot more money off of it is going to (laughs) uh, wither up fast. I mean, and, it's just, you know, Iron Oberholzer was the one that kind of went into it. The, the deepest, I thought, and best reaction to the Jimmy thing was that, that uh, whole Omerita thing. And then if, if you if just, like with the Tour de France, if people, the minute they sense that there's some sort of little wink-wink thing going on and the competition isn't on the up and up, you're toast as a sport. Mm. And and the, the leadership not wanting to ever be tough on any of these guys is just uh it's just setting us up for that well, they, they run it don't they Clates, i know that you've sort of spoken about it you know and it was an accident you didn't mean to do it but you may have with that whole jimmy and aaron walker exchange you might have actually put a stop to it i've not seen a backstopping incident since just having the spotlight so glaringly on it um so your contribution to the game as adrian Logue pointed out to me might be that's, falling that's on your ball and stopping the backstopping to be played here rod <laughs> come on now don't uh, give him props yet no no i'm not giving him props yet but uh, it was interesting wasn't it Clades? were you surprised at how it unfolded i'm sure you were you wouldn't have expected that reaction from jimmy walker but that it went yeah. so big was interesting wasn't it well it just showed to me that they don't even know the rule really mm. they don't understand it or know it or i mean why would you jump in and admit that you cheated basically yeah Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. it would, people well, you like or have empathy for when they short side themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the detail. The, 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 that's the beautiful. If you part, like right? a guy, you'll. And that's right. Way, <laughs> I, I would like a little credit for this because there's something about what I do that makes Jimmy and his wife get very angry and, oh. and want to reply to me on Twitter. Are so you on the list? I would you? love a little. Appre- now okay. I was blissfully unaware. I was out playing <laughs> golf. By the way, West Hampton Country Club. Um, my, my podcast associate, Joe House, uh, got us on there. A member named Brad Robbins was a wonderful host. An absolutely spectacular Rainer golf course. And I don't know why it isn't considered even better than it is. Gil Hance and George Botto, full restoration. Anyway, we're out playing golf and just having a beautiful day. Uh, great company. Cool. Every hole's fascinating. And I, <laughs> I, I don't... I don't look at my phone except I'm taking photos. And then I somehow, uh, after 18, I hit the Twitter mentions and I thought, what is this? What is going <laughs> on? Up. Oh. Yeah, indeed. It's interesting. Just on a, on a sidetrack, it's fantastic. And Clayton and I had a bit of a, uh, a discussion with Billy Horschel last week, who I know you weren't allowed to join in because you were asked and he did not block you. But it's great that these people interact, isn't it, on Twitter? This is the irony of it, Shaq. It's fantastic. And I love following Erin Walker on Twitter. I don't agree with everything she says, but at least she's out there saying something. Um, but, boy, I guess it shows how it can go so horribly wrong, can't it? And I don't think Jimmy Walker will be back on Twitter for a while. He certainly won't be engaging in anything serious, I wouldn't think, uh, after what happened. So. Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked. I, I, I don't know if that would, would stop a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, I do think it's wonderful, uh, but I think it's dangerous. Yeah. You know, he was arguing with – he and his wife got very upset when I, I referred to – didn't when they had the walk-up music, I said nobody really wants to see millionaires, rich, yeah, <laughs> rich guys right. dancing on the first tee kind yeah. of thing. And 
And I, you know, I just, I did not give a lot of thought to that word. And I, I was probably, I was going to write something like rich white guys and that wouldn't have sounded right. <laughs> so I, I just had rich, you know, the point was that, that it, it, it kind of, um, anyway, they took unbelievable exception yeah. as you know, to that and, uh, just, just would not let it go. And of course they did all this as, um, you know, there was a Twitter bio picture of uh, Aaron uses of them toasting champagne on a private jet. And a lot of people pointed that out that, you know, you, you really, you know, it's really probably not the best look to be arguing this um, with those kinds of things. And, you know, Jimmy's buying a $50,000 camera and she's got uh, horses and and uh, and good for them, by the way. I'm, hmm. I'm very happy that they've used their success to pursue these things. And, and by the way, pursuing things that are a little more uh, refined and sophisticated and civilized and and interesting than the usual golf pros. So I say more <laughs> power to them. But you also have to kind of think, choose your battles a yeah. little bit more carefully. She's feisty here, like, and though, isn't she? She's very feisty. Really she's, to uh, be, yeah. Uh, and in in a bit of a bubble, I think as I pointed, out, she said, you know, golf is in such a great place, and people on social media try to bring it down. It's like, yeah, actually, Aaron, professional golf's in a great place. Uh, yeah. The rest of us aren't doing so good necessarily uh, in other in other areas of the game. Yeah, but it's just interesting how that uh, that whole Twitter thing is playing out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's leave the, uh, the U.S. Open. And you are for... correct. He has not tweeted in a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ro- oh, uh, Ro- yes. Quickly, I watched a thing on Al Jazeera the other day about corruption in cricket at the highest levels, and you know, it was it was a sting, and they caught guys. Uh, Cheating because of the gambling and you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do we think there's a that's a rat hole? Golf doesn't want to go down, isn't it? I mean, so it would be so easy to. You know, we've seen it in tennis, football, cricket, everything that now. gambling's touched. Yeah. every sport that gambling yeah. has touched has ended. I mean, up you can eventually you start placing bets on. I'll bet that Jeff Ogilvy hits a three wood off the seventeenth hole. Yeah, and you sling him. You know, I mean. Who's to stop all that stuff? Which is a rat hole that tennis went down. There's so much corruption and, and gambling in tennis at the lower levels, and the problem is, as, as I understand it, you get the guys where no one's ever heard of them when they're ranked 2,000 in the world, and if they happen to be a good player, You've you own them for forever. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I was playing with a very famous tennis player one day, and I said, "How far up the list has gambling gone in tennis?" He said, "Number one." Wow. You know, so wow. it's um. I'm not sure it's a rat hole that golf wants to go down because it's such an easily corruptible sport. If you get some kid on the challenge tour and you'd say, mate, hit a three wood off the 14th tee today, and you, know, you start, and, yeah, there's a thousand bucks, it'll pay your hotel bill. And mm. it's just, I'm not sure why they're doing it. We've because always it's corrupted oh, well, every other sport. Yeah, but we've well, always been able to gamble on it here and in the UK, Shaq. As you well know, one of the great treats for American journos going to cover the Open is that you can go down to the betting shop and gamble on it. So right, and it's done as a fun thing, yeah. and it, it gives you something to write about, and and it's enjoyable, and and it it adds to sort of to the coverage. But where it's going to get interesting um, will be with technology and the ability to bet uh, on on every shot, and and you can have a make or miss kind of app where you you uh, and then who's to stop somebody from being out there on the course with their out? Well, actually the, the, the terrible cell reception at most tournaments now will stop it. But, um, to, to be able to, to say, Oh, I, I, I make or miss. I'm, I'm going to, uh, he's got a three footer here. I'm going to scream right, right. As he takes it back. And, 
and bet on this. You know, it, it's just they and they have a really. I don't sense they've thought a lot of these scenarios through. Is it a done deal? Just from check. Are we going to say it? Uh, Is it a done deal yet? It's going to take a while for that kind of uh, action to to happen with the apps and a widespread. Mm. But no, it's it's absolutely in motion. Uh, the tour has contracted a lot of different people on the integrity side and on the gambling side, and they're they're going to try to control as much as they can and make as much as they can. And and I understand that. And and all the other sports leagues here in the United States have been very aggressive in the same exact way. I think they're all comparing, uh, sharing notes, and and um, the sports betting is and not. I, I, I support it, but I just what I don't support is is a lack of vision to to see where some things are going. Mm-hmm. And, and I, am just completely mystified at the inability to anticipate some of the possible problems in, in, in the context of things that are going on right now that we're talking about mm-hmm. on this show and saying, okay, wait, now let's think about that in the gambling world. Oh yeah, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that's not going to be good. <laughs> we got to make sure that doesn't happen when we have the, uh, the, 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 the gambling option in the BJ tour app in 2022. What's been the, the sports, sports betting in America has always been interesting. Hasn't it? There, there are certain places it's allowed, but most places it's not. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's been right. so in Vegas. Vegas. You can bet on basketball and football and golf, I presume. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they the, the talk is to open that up so that it's legal everywhere, just as it is in the UK and here in Australia. Uh, state by state, right, but, okay. but obviously more and more states are better prepared than others okay. uh, to, to uh, to attack, uh, we have it in horse racing. You know, you can bet on a, uh, through an app on on horse racing, uh, pretty much anywhere except just a handful of states. Uh, so that's part of the model. And then uh, this, though, is going to just take it to a whole different level with with all the sports and uh, the interest level in it, and and uh, it's going to be fascinating. So, Clay, I guess that opens up what we have down here, which is I'm not a great watcher of other sports i don't really follow any other sports but the occasional time i turn it on is this relentless on the broadcast uh sort of breaks into you can now gamble on this you can gamble on that here's the odds before there where the the betting becomes as much a part of the game as anything are you a football watcher i think on tv now when you watch sport on tv the 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 gambling talk is just absolutely part of the broadcast is it not is that going to happen in golf is it it's ridiculous i would hope not i mean the football is ridiculous but i mean it's all you ever hear about the odds Mm. Yeah, just I mean, I pay no attention. But um, the thing in the cricket was, was they were betting on how many runs they would score in the tenth over, and you know, of course, they'd paid the batsman off not to you know to score a certain number of runs, and mm. you know, it was just I mean, the, 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 they weren't just betting on who was going to win, who's who was going to lose. That's and, right. That's and, not and, the and, best, and it. It, it, it had completely corrupted cricket. Well, so, well, it has completely corrupted cricket as far as I can see. Yeah. Yeah, indeed, and the further, and, and of course, cricket's always held up. T Twenty cricket, in particular, is held up as the solution to all golf's problems, isn't it? If we just find a quicker, yeah. more entertaining format, the game would flourish. And of course, it's uh, that's not necessarily the case. Interesting that you should reveal there, Clates. Where did you watch? Where do you watch Al Jazeera? Is that part of the Fox passing? Yeah, pack? yeah. There's a. There's <laughs> I, no, say, I watched it on. Yeah. It was on Twitter. Someone oh, put it up okay. on Twitter. Yeah, there was a there was a forty five minute show on the, the the Sting where these undercover guys had gone and. Spoken to these Pakistani bookmakers and fixers, and they bought players, and the, and the players were in on it. There were, there were three English players that they didn't name who were in, in their test team, and it was a yeah, it was it was a big deal. It, it, well, it is a big deal, isn't it? We all remember Hansi Cronier from the the nineties, wasn't it? I don't think he had, when he had eventually admitted what he'd been up to for the South Africans. Oh yeah, it was a and, stunning and, you know, at the time. Yeah, the, obviously the rumor that they flew his plane into the mountain and killed him, but mm. which was what happened. But you know, I mean, that was. 
passed off as an accident, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't think it was. No, well, you don't have to go far to find a conspiracy theory these days, Clates, especially on the internet. I guess the other thing out of all that, on a side note, Shaq, I was interested here. Clates talking about watching Al Jazeera. I remember one of my favourite players for a long time on the PGO Tour was Brad Faxon because in his bio, when you used to get the books, they'd send you the book with all the players' bios and everything. Uh, under interests, he'd listed not hunting which was sending a fabulous yeah. message, wasn't it? Because almost every other player, uh, certainly the US-born players, an awful lot of them listed hunting as one of their interests outside oh, golf. Yeah. And his, was, his yeah. was absolutely, definitely not hunting, which I thought was uh, uh, was terrific. Yeah, that would get him in trouble now. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, he's had his set twos with Clates on Twitter as well uh, about all that sort of stuff. Anyway, uh, let's move on because I, I wanted to talk about something. It's not, it's not more positive. It's just a different sort of... Uh, uh, not great for the game. The French Open being played at Le Golf National this week, which is obviously going to be the host of the Ryder Cup later this year. Justin Thomas made the effort to go over there and play. None of the other Americans did, or indeed many of the European Ryder Cup players. But I guess the interesting thing, Shaq, you linked to a story on your website from the New York Times talking to Mike Lorenzo Vera, who is obviously no household mm. name, but he's an interesting character. He's terrific to watch play the game. I love the way he goes about it. Uh, a good guy. Talking about French golf, and he revealed so. I mean, I recall when the Ryder Cup was awarded to France, it was awarded to France on the basis that they had promised to do all sorts of things to grow the game. They're going to open a certain number of nine-hole courses. They're going to introduce a certain number of people to the game and all this sort of stuff. From what Lavenzo Vera says, none of that's happened, has it? Is it disappointingly possibly the truth that really these decisions are based on commercial reasons and not really what we're led to believe, which is the idea of growing the game? Yeah, the, the entire model for the Ryder Cup uh, in Europe is is disappointing and not working. Uh, obviously, it works for them because they get these seven million dollar tournaments lined up, and commit a commitment for those. And and although the Italy situation's uh, disastrous, uh, uh, yeah, that's gonna uh, <laughs> unravel here pretty soon. And so they're gonna be moving that Ryder Cup. I'm I'm almost positive. Do you reckon that's yeah? And I, it, I yeah. Well, I might as well reveal it now. I'm 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 beginning to research the possibility of doing a. <laughs> A uh, crowdsourced effort to raise the money to 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 buy out Italy and and bring the Ryder Cup in 2022 to the old course oh. where Tiger Woods likely be the captain. I haven't done. I'm trying to figure out what the number is that the European Tour will need to to deal with this Italy situation to make it work for them. But this relying on the Ryder Cup for their to fill their coffers um, in some way is is I understand it. They need it, but. Gosh, it's just led to these situations where France did this bid and they rolled out this wonderful thing and it was exciting and 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 none of that's happened because so much money has to go to those purses of the the French mm-hmm. Open and and other events. Um, and then the Italy situation's a mess and you know they the, the fact that they toyed with Turkey for a Ryder Cup and and uh, how long before the, it goes it, to Dubai? It's just if the current regime remain, if the current regime remains the same, how long before we play the Ryder Cup in Dubai? Oh yeah, no, I think it's it's something they've they've toyed with and and it's it's not a, really out of the question and it's just uh, depressing as can be because we, we from our point of view obviously we want a great golf course and we we rarely get it in the Ryder Cup. And uh, they're acting like this year's venue is is the second coming oh, of the old course, and it's it's uh, oh. it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's probably got more intrigue than some of the courses they've had, yeah. and it'll be fine. It'll be a a good little protagonist in the whole thing, but it won't be. I mean, uh, you know, we've gone through the scenarios of the old course, and and uh, it just would be spectacular on so many fronts. The the way the holes play, the um, 
the, the groups of holes and the way you'd have swarms of matches kind of in the same general areas throughout the course. I mean, it's just made for it. Um, so I, I don't know if this is all going to implode the whole model or, or what's going to happen, but, uh, the Italy situation, but the France one is certainly not going to be a great narrative going in on that front. Uh, and I'm sure they're hoping that interviews like that, uh, don't, don't happen. <laughs> I was going to say, I wonder, wonder how popular Lorenzo Vera is with the French golf association. Clates, you're and, familiar with, and by so, the way, they're going to have great crowds and, and none of them French, like, according to him. None of them French, but they're going to have great crowds and and uh, two excellent teams. It yeah. looks like uh, on paper, so mm. it'll be a great match, but it 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 won't be quite what they had no. promised. All, all that water will make for exciting golf, but not necessarily the sort of golf I suspect and exciting in the way that uh, that we might right. prefer to see. Clay, you're fairly familiar with golf in France. Does what Lorenzo V? I'm not sure that you read the article, but he basically said it's a rich man's game in in France. Uh, it's all country clubs only for the very wealthy, very few kids playing. Um, that uh, they, don't, they haven't produced a great champion because France has got a very negative sort of uh, view on golf and competition. And what it was a really kind of revealing interview. What's been your experience of golf in France? I know that you don't rate the course as the best in Paris, um, but golf in France, does that ring true to you, rich man's sport? Well, I think that's golf on the continent. Apart, Aside from Sweden, that's golf everywhere on the continent. Spain, Germany, mm-hmm. uh, Holland, Belgium. France, it's it's all you know, it's, it's a what do you say? It's a game for uh, rich people and sport kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, golf's one. a very exclusive game, all everywhere on the continent, mm-hmm. and, and it's a pity it's never spread to that populace as, as it has in Britain. But it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, more Fontaine is the, the best course in France, a beautiful course, but incredibly private, and you know, very much plays to the image of golf in France. You can't get on, and it's a shut gate and that's what most people think of golf in France I think who, who don't play golf that seems certainly seems the image of it but the courses in Paris are fantastic I've sent a lot of people there to go and play in Fontainebleau, Chantilly, Saint-Cloud, Montfontaine, Saint-Germain they're, they're beautiful courses it's a great place to play golf and you know as Huggy used to call the Ryder Cup course at Gun Eagles the fourth best course in Octorada which it was <laughs> um, Paris Nationals Probably the sixth best course in the city. I see Shaq. You've got on your side. It's a great test of golf. Thomas said, yeah. "It's all right. It's all right there in front of you. <laughs> it's not like there are any hidden tricks or anything like that." Which is, you know, you've got the first two holes and, and three of the last four, which are just facsimiles of anything you see on a TPC course in America. Just yeah. holes up. Yeah. You know, and but so I, was, didn't you read into his comments like, oh. I came over here to get to know this yeah. course, and I figured it out one round. Like, there's just not a lot here. I yeah. could have played uh, TPC at the time. That's how I read it. I mean, he yeah. tried to be respectful, but yeah. sure read like, oh, this is it? Yeah. <laughs> this is that's classic, oh, okay. classic Woods, though, isn't it? They're all right there in front of you. That's the that's the well, finest that's of its kind. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of them love that. And, and architecture, I get that. But I, I felt like in this case, it was it was more of <laughs> not, a, not quite a dig, but just sort of a <laughs> – yeah. Uh, and he's having uh, doing a wonderful job by the way he's enjoying Paris yeah. and he's enjoying uh, his his visit and he's he's trying to undo some of the damage that Bubba <laughs> did uh, so thankfully he's he's uh, representing us well that way and and hopefully he'll have a good tournament and, and on the uh, upside but talk- even even this uh, Jim Furyk's trying to have a scouting trip the Scottish Open weekend and now Tiger's not even going to show for that and well, I don't know who's going to show up for that but um, when anyway, will they learn? This, just, is, this has failed before, hasn't it? The scouting trip. This is not the yeah, first time yeah, this has raised its head. Yeah. I think Keith Bradley and 
uh, one other player showed up. Yeah. And uh, it's just obnoxious, I think, with the Scottish Open going on. Uh, Ricky and Kucher, I would be shocked if they broke away from that. Phil mumbled something about going, even though he's playing the Scottish. I mean, he could he could technically be down there in the morning, play nine holes, and be seen. And mm. if he's in, it has a good tee time on the weekend in the Scottish, and then fly up and uh, be ready to go. But I, that would that would look rather silly, I think. So it's yes, it's been tried, and it. It's just not necessary. They have three or four practice rounds during the week. Well, so it, really exactly. This is the other thing, isn't it, Clates? They are, in fact, so good, these players, that they, they don't need a week to figure out a golf course, do they? they? They generally go around it once or twice, and they've pretty much got it locked in. So, Well, uh, certainly not that course. You, know, you see Thomas Bjorn Shack saying, once you have a great yeah. golf course like this one, I mean, great uh, is the most overused <laughs> word in golf. I mean, <laughs> if St Andrews and Muirfield and Shinnecock Hills are great, then this is not a great golf course. It, it's a fake American TPC course, you know, with a few fake dunes out the back to make it feel a bit like a link, so you can pass it off as half a link. But it is what it is, and it's. I mean, Shanti would have been such a great venue for the Ryder Cup, the, the amazing chateau, the race course, a beautiful town, a thirty-six hole course oh. that could easily hold it. It just would have been such a great venue for the French to use, and the. Now, this thing's indistinguishable from anything in the middle of America. Now, here's the thing, Clates. The argument against a place like what you're in, Morfontaine and all the great courses, and even the old course at St Andrews Shack, is the logistics of an event, the size of the Ryder Cup, would overrun most places. And there is some truth to that. I mean, you've only got to look at the crowds that turn up, and you've only got to look at what happened at Shinnecock Hill Shack with the traffic to realise just what's involved in running an event of this size. So the question becomes, given all that we've just discussed, is it time for a boutique Ryder Cup? where the ticket prices are outrageous to keep the crowd smaller and you can have it at somewhere like Morfontaine or Chantilly or some of the well, other places you mentioned. The USGA just tried to have a boutique US Open at Shinnecock Hills with a $165 ticket on the weekend and the people really? spoke. They had, they had great crowds Saturday. Thursday, Friday were, were, were shockingly weak and Sunday was amazingly weak. They, they did not sell out. The US Open sellout streak has ended. Now, Technically, it might have ended last year at Aaron Hills, but it definitely ended. But they still had very good crowds at Aaron Hills, so I, I, I can't say that that was one that uh, – that wasn't one where you, you sat there and went, gosh, look at these empty grandstands, whereas at Shinnecock, yeah. uh, I mean, the people at Aaron Hills were great fans, and they showed, and it was a tough place to get to. So maybe they technically didn't sell out, but they had a they had robust crowds for the week. So they tried the, the boutique thing here. And, you know, the golf fan who's been to the U.S. Open the last few years knows it's not a great spectating experience. And they did add a couple of nice uh, hospitality tents, but those were expensive. Uh, to, uh, that was an expensive ticket just to access. Um, uh, and, and one of them was kind of youth-driven, and that sold out. But So they tried it, and they limited tickets to 30,000 and they couldn't get that to a place where there's a train dropping you right off. But people just said, you know what? It's better on TV. It's hard to get to. And so golf has a, has a, uh, you know, the future I think is, is such that they're going to have to be careful with these things. And, uh, people are finally recognizing that the fan experience component that if it's unpleasant, they it, once you lose them, it's tough to get them back. The golf of all the sports is the most, by far the most difficult to go and enjoy on the course, isn't it? Yeah. If, you, if you're covering yeah. a golf tournament, the only way to really do it is on television. If you're doing the daily reporting, 
because it's the only way you can keep up with what's going on. I mean, as a fan on the course, you get to see for every great shot you see, you miss four others <laughs> because it's happening somewhere else on the golf course. Yeah, so. and you know, I got I had a couple people uh, getting annoyed on Twitter when I uh, I think I took a photograph of the screen in the media center. Uh, and they were like, well, well, what's the point of you being there? And like, <laughs> well, I do get out on the course and I do get a flavor of things and see the setup and watch some shots, but you just can't, can't you cover. can't see it all. No, um, trying to be out there and you know, you, 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 they do have radio at the U S open, mm -hmm. but it's very tough yeah. and it's, it's a tough sport to, uh, and they don't, the USGA kind of has backed off the video boards that they were. In fact, now that I think about it, they didn't even have a, a video board on number 18 which was interesting so the people sitting there could watch uh the telecast that was somewhere else uh, yeah. so yeah it's a it's a tricky thing they they need to innovate but the innovation is expensive and and even then it's uh, questionable whether the the golf fans uh really want to to uh to do it yet that said i think the biggest issue of all is just how much the fan keeps getting pushed back because the people who went to the the Walker Cup and the U.S. Amateur here uh, in L.A. last year had had uh, all just had rave reviews. It was one of the greatest. They had never heard of any of these people, and they had uh, the greatest time they've ever had watching golf because they could get up close and hear the conversation and meet their families, or um, you know, hear the just hear the sound of Cameron Champ hitting a ball uh, and and just be sort of in awe of that and just get a better sense so yeah. i think your boutique idea would be interesting if it's some sort of an event that's a small field and uh, and you got to actually walk out on the course more mm. somehow of course the, the great thing about that walker cup shack is that's the surprise me. element people go along not knowing who any of these players are and see just how incredibly good they are so there's a great surprise in the quality of the sure, golf and sure and all sure. that as well you've brought me that match play just brings out different there's just different stuff yeah. going on in the air when when you have matches and intimate and i think you, is the word you, you have something for. to talk about with yeah. people around you like should he give him this putt or yeah. why did he go for that or, or his partner yeah. must be really mad at him right yeah. now for you know, hitting it out of bounds or whatever it is, the yeah. conversation is more interesting. Or if you've only ever watched professional golf, why aren't they backstopping? No, I'm only joking about that. Well, uh, <laughs> You've neatly brought me to the last thing I wanted to bring up because I know you've got to go, Shaq, but Clates, of course, it was announced last week that the purse for the Vic Open down here, which is all of the things Shaq just talked about, and you've said it a number of times, best golf event in Australia to go to because there's no fairway ropes. You walk the course with the players. You get to stand behind them while you watch, which is the best place to watch golf from. Simon Brookhouse intimated on a podcast down here this week, which I assume means it's a done deal, that it will become part of the European Tour. It, of course, is played in February, as are the World Super Six, I think they call it, over in Perth, which is a co-sanctioned European Tour event. Is it time for the Australian PGA and the Australian Open to move to February and give us the chance to have a European Tour swing down here in Australia? Probably. The dates are... It's always tricky to get the dates right because you want the players to come, so it's dependent on... A the problem is it's dependent on a couple of players whether they decide they want to come and play in February. But it would make more sense to play in February, probably. I'm not sure. It's a tricky one, that one. I mean, mm. what we're, we're – yeah, the Vic Open's a great event. They'll, they'll have a terrific field next year, European Tour event by the look of it, perhaps LPGA. But Will that be the end of the inside-the-ropes access for fans, do you think, Clayton? No, well, no. I think we spoke about that yesterday, and it's like that can't be. You can't just you – know, the European Tour, I mean, I suspect they would want to come in and say, well, you can't have this. Well – that's what we've got. And, mm -hmm. you know, you come and play. And if you don't want to play under those rules, then don't, don't come don't because we're going to have a great tournament without you. But, um, I, you know, I think it's, imp it's Im 
hugely important part of that tournament that people can walk the fairways. That's why it's turned Most into a great tournament. And there's a, there was a bloke out there last year with his dog clothes. The dogs are allowed out there, Romeo. It's fantastic stuff. It's, it's everything that golf that should be, um, you know, yeah. and hopefully that continues to be the case. And, of course, the response from, from the European Tour, Shaq, was the typically lame golf response. The Challenge Tour, Senior Tour, and the Ladies European Tour are going to have a mixed event where they all play. There's some great elements to that, but it's the typically offering the B-grade men's event to go with yeah. the women, isn't it? And that that uh, was more disappointing than anything, I thought, that that the Challenge Tour and the well, the Stay Shore Tour, as it's now called, not even the Seniors Tour over there in Europe. Um, so they, they can obviously see the merit that there's a thirst, there's a hunger for it amongst the crowds, isn't there, Shaq, this sort of different thing? And I know you haven't been to the Vic Home, but it's just fantastic as an event to go to. But as always, golf managers to muck it up uh, when it goes to the yeah. next level up. So, Yeah. Uh, all right, I want to be. Uh, I'm going to be late for my, so my appointment because I I feel like we still have to discuss uh, um, Peter Thompson a little bit. Uh, just kind of, uh, I'm curious uh, hearing about some of the things that have have uh, have uh, happened since his passing. And um, you guys did a show, but I'd love to kind of just hear what what things have been um, have been thrown out about him and and said that have struck you. And I, I also have a question too. Because I've been doing a little research about Carnoustie, and his his name came up in an interesting way. But um, has he has he gotten a proper send off? Yeah, the memorial was yesterday at the MCG, and there were there were a thousand people there. Probably, I mean, every, everybody was there who was anybody in golf in Australia. There were five great speeches from Sandy Dawson, who was a Royal Sydney member, the captain of the RNA. Ronald McDonald, who was the general manager of the Age when Peter wrote for them a lot. Um, the Premier, Daniel Andrews, who, who was the, the equivalent of a governor in America, gave a great speech. Peter Senior, um, his grandchildren spoke. Uh, and Mike Woolridge, his design partner, who made a clay, he had everyone in stitches. He was so funny. It was amazing how he first met him. And they drove back from Adelaide in his Aston Martin and the 1962 Australian Open at Royal Adelaide. And it was a, it was a, extra, it was a brilliant speech. He, it, it could have gone on for another hour, but everybody was there it was a it was an amazing tribute there were everyone's done the not the right thing they've just done what should have been done and acknowledged what was a great life we spoke i spoke with the head of the pga after the service and what was depressing is that he's dealing with player managers who want almost seven figure sums to local players to play the australian open and the pga championship this year and it just makes me sick that he and Kel Nagel never took a cent in appearance money and made the tour here, and you've got American yeah. managers <clears throat> forking out Australian players and demanding money for their appearance. And it's time we said, no, go away. And you know, at least once this year, turn up and play and re- re- and I think respect the guy who was the greatest player we ever had. And this is the year, for nothing, and got the Asian tour going, the Japan yeah. tour going, and became the spokesman for the game around the world. And these these guys wanting, you know. It's ridiculous amounts of appearance money to turn up. As Thompson said, it's demeaning, and it's, and it's demeaning to them and the players, and it's demeaning to the managers to ask for it. And it you know, it, 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 as, as Peter pointed out in his book, it doesn't. It, it makes us the same as Nigeria and Kenya and Morocco, and, and it's true. It does. Wow. It's you know, it's it's you know, appearance money is a part of the game in Australia, but the amounts of it are sickening. And and who's getting you know, it? Australian players should not have their hand out to play the Australian. Fair enough. If you, if you don't want to play because you're not going to get paid, don't turn up and everybody knows then where they stand. But don't have your hand out and 
certainly we shouldn't be paying them. We should just say no to Australian players. Well, I don't I mind think. having a handout for something, but no, playing fair in a hotel room. And that's yeah. right. Wasn't that the deal yeah, they did? No. If you're top ten in yeah, the world, or you've won you a know, major. Cameron Smith is a, a really nice kid and a good player, but his managers. I mean, come 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 down and play golf for two weeks or three weeks a year and support the tour and you know just uh, and Thompson's passing was just a reminder of this of all years uh, they should do it. Well, they? yeah, that the wouldn't have been, well, there probably would have been a tour without him and Kel, but I mean, they played every week in Australia and New Zealand and, yeah. and never put their hand out for one cent ever. Never expected it, and mm. these guys wanting you know five and six and seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars to play. It's just <laughs> pathetic. Oh, it really is. Uh, now, yeah. I knew I knew we were in trouble when. Arnold Palmer and Peter Thompson both uh, just struggling to get there. But they both got to St. Andrews for that last Open. And they both were out there for that the, 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 the celebration, yeah. the Champions four-hole event. Peter Thompson played, which was incredible. Uh, Arnold Palmer hit a shot. They went to the Hall of Fame ceremony. They went to the reception after, sat at a table, and I need to pull up a photograph of that and, and had people you know, bothering them for photos and they were great about it. And, and, and they, they looked like it was, you know, it was, it was not easy for them. And, uh, to think they did that. And then, and then you had a whole handful of hall of famers down the street, sitting in their hotel room, passing up, uh, to the opportunity to go to that event and, uh, be part of the induction ceremony uh, just that just told me everything. Like it's, and then and then it happened again in New York this year, where all these people who want to be in a Hall of Fame discussion someday were sitting in their hotel room and and or maybe they don't, maybe they don't care, but uh, uh, sitting in their hotel room and they could have had a limousine drive them and drop them off and sit and listen to Davis Love uh, giving a wonderful speech about his career and and they don't go, they don't show, and it's it's a it's an amazing. Thing that we're seeing the, the lack of, of appreciation for uh, what these people did before them to allow them to, to, to make an incredible living. It's almost like it never happened, isn't it? It's uh, that was then. This yeah, is now we've it's got it's everything, it's and it's and it's this entitlement. I and mean, we just keep keep seeing. Are we just old guys? Is the were we did we feel oh, entitled when we were younger? Yes, or? yes, that's some of it. But no, there really is an incredible mm. uh, ignorance of of history, uh, at least in our sport now. That is. I think it's it's obnoxious to people because you hear so much lip service paid to mm. uh, these these guys. But when they have the the opportunity to to show and um, to to do something to show to pay their respects for these these players, um, the men aren't doing it. I, I feel like the women are doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, Michelle, we many players came to New York. Uh, they weren't in New York for any reason. They came to New York to 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 honor the the Hall of Fame and. The players going in, and uh, so it's 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 definitely generational. But um, but I, I, on a lighter note, uh, so so Clates, I've been reading about Carnoustie and Hogan, and it's so fun to read about that that open. And um, but I, I was there was some interesting stuff about Peter Thompson uh, that he was quite the subtle. Uh, practitioner of gamesmanship on the golf course is that uh, does that ring true I mean, that he, he just had an ability to to kind of uh just just do little stuff not, not nothing nothing sinister but just kind of classic funny um well, chris chris o'connor always accused him of moving his white shoes but no, tom i was a he was a great 
sledger in the sense that sledging is a cricket term where you sort of, but but yeah, it, was, it was the sort of thing that everybody <laughs> no would, every club golfer does. That I mean, there was a famous story about a golf pro in contortions after lipping out a six foot putt and hit a spike mark and spun around the hole, and he, you know, and Tom I walked past him and said, "That happened to me once," and just this, just a, a, it's so true. The perfect, you know, some people would say it was an arrogant, cutting comment. But it was so true. That happened to me once. And Peter Fowler asked him, you know, you've been watching me on TV, Peter. How do you think I can improve my game? He said, shoot lower scores, Peter. And Cook was mad at him forever until he figured out it was one of the greatest bits of advice he ever got. It was, yeah. you know, shoot, shoot lower, you know, stop stressing about what you're doing and just shoot, shoot lower scores. Take two shots off your game. Figure out how to do yeah. that. So um, Thompson was a game chip. No, it was just this... No, and they weren't snide little comments. They were very funny, clever little digs that everyone makes it, you know, at club golf, it's okay. But on the tour, he would just say the same thing. Right. And you look back and they were, they were funny and clever. And But in the heat yeah. of the battle, people took them the wrong way. But, sure, sure. And yeah. the times I played with him, he was great to play with. Yeah, and, and funny. And, and, he, and he understood that golf was a sport and a game. Well, a game. Yes, yeah. And he yeah. played it like a game. And, and he said things as though it was a game. And, People who were racking themselves in knots with the tension of it all didn't take it the well, took it the wrong way sometimes. But he was a yeah, he was a clever, funny guy. And he found the, and, he found the game infuriatingly yeah. simple, didn't he, Clades? <laughs> For yeah, those yeah. of us who can't yeah. play, infuriating yeah. how and, and that was his approach to everybody yeah. should find it infuriatingly simple and not yeah. be so serious about it. And I think that was probably the the yeah. uh, the thing. What what a figure he was. So, were you surprised, Clades, by the international? Uh, nature of the, the just the outpouring when, when uh, I mean we obviously in Australia have always known Thompson is huge five five opens and you know he's been mm. a part of the fabric of the game here at every level for so long but internationally I was a little tamer particularly I suppose with America with just how much um, just how many people responded and were genuinely sort of affected by his passing and I thought yeah. Finchy did a beautiful job on CBS with the very limited time obviously that he had he's clearly very emotional and choked up and said some lovely things about Peter there, but were you surprised with the international nature of it? I mean, maybe I misread well, it from here, but he's well, a giant. I mean, he's I always been, a, you know, five opens is mm. an amazing career. But Martin Slumbers flew out from Scotland with the with, with an open trophy, and there was an open trophy up on the wow. on the stage yesterday. So, so I know Mary, Peter's wife, was extraordinarily touched that, that someone, well, the, the head of the RNA would actually fly out for the service. So that, that was a yeah. That was a big deal yesterday, but no, I, I mean he was a legend in golf, really, and yeah. perhaps not as well known in, in in America as Europe and well Britain and Australia and Asia. But yeah, I, you know, I think there was a general outpouring from around the world about his life and his career and how sad it was to see him go. But um, it did remind me of a, Palmer and his passing. Um, it was that wasn't quite at that level, but it wasn't far off, was it? Clates, really? No, and, no. And he was in that sort of ilk. So, what was he had a, you know, he had a great life. I mean, what a life he had! Mm. Wow, it was, a, it was an amazing life and mm. great family. And yeah, so if, if we all lived lives like Peter Thompson's, we'd all be doing pretty well, I think. Yeah, it went extraordinary. And, and, a, and a great player. I mean, I I watched him play a lot. I thought I thought he was a remarkable player. Just amazing judgment and beautiful swing and hit, hit the ball so controlled beautifully. You could see why he played so well in the open. Which was the championship he built his career around. His, his yeah. life was around playing in the open and preparing himself for that every year. And 
as his son pointed out yesterday, he said, yeah, he said, my dad played in 30 Opens, but he was very keen to point out he lost 25 lost, of them. Lost 25 of them. That's <laughs> <laughs> staggering. Skip the, remember, you told this story last week, like, skip the Masters to play the Indian Open, Shaq, one year. Yeah, skip the Masters to play the Indian Open. Skip the Masters yeah. to play the Indian Open. There's a... There's a perspective. Have you read his book, Shack, A Life in Golf? No, I, so that was my other question. You'll um, be on the so, list. Clates has got so a list of people have, who are getting okay, a copy. Now, well, now I have the um, the little red book with Steve Perkin. Well, lessons it, I have it, learned. But now, is yeah, there? Well, there's a biography, though, correct? Well, there's a biography by Peter Mitchell, which is long out of print. But the red book morphed into the book that was with Peter swinging on the cover called A Life in Golf. Okay. And, Jeff Slattery, a friend of mine, he, he's now re- reprinting it for the third time with a different cover and a, and a couple of additions to it. But basically, it's the same book, yes. So that printing is going on this week. So Excellent. I'll organize a copy for you. Okay, and there's a, there is a, uh, a Kindle edition uh, on Amazon for yes. those who read that way. So there is, an, there is an e-book of it. Yeah. Um, but, that, but as you said, so that's coming out, uh, though, in a... Yeah, so if anyone yeah, wants it, they printed, go to, you can go to Jeff Slattery. Uh, Slattery, you can Google Jeff Slattery, Slattery Publishing, you'll find it. Okay. SlatteryMedia.com or something, yeah. But, so oh. they're reprinting it now. And then, is, um, but then what's the book that you, you there, there are several of you contributed to? So we, I think that's where I got confused. Or clearly by the silence. I, um, isn't that what's sure. no, You've no, each no, written think, some essays, you and Peter Thompson and, No. <laughs> oh, that, oh, oh, that's a book that, what, the one I've done with Charlie Happel, which is coming out in a couple of months or a month or something. Okay, I thought, so Peter's, for some reason, I thought Peter Thompson was in that too. No, no, he is. Peter's written something for that. His son's written okay, something for that. Okay, that's what I'm referring um, to. Okay. Yeah. So that's out in a month or two, I think. So okay, I'll, what's I'll that called? You know it's, it's called, um, right, there's a copy here, Preferred Lies, it's called, which is a, anyway. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and as you said, Clates, of course, any book written about golf in Australia in the last 40 years has had a foreword by Peter Thompson, hasn't it? Because right. uh, it has, yeah. he, he's yeah. written, so, he must have written a thousand forewords, I reckon. He's, uh, right. he, he was, uh, he's fantastic. What was, it, what was your take in America, Shay? I'll let you go in a minute. I know you're late for an appointment, but uh, uh, what was the general sort of chatter in America? Obviously, Thompson wasn't as big as Palmer in the States, but clearly – uh, very much a revered figure, which is, I, I was a little bit surprised by. Clates wasn't, but uh, were you at all surprised by just well, how don't sort forget of he was rather uh, incredible for a few years on the mm-hmm. senior tour here. Yeah. So a lot of people who didn't know anything about his golf career um, got to watch him play, and as as did I as a young man, uh, I got to watch him play when he was playing incredible golf as a as a senior. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, I think hearing a five-time Open champion yeah. gets people's attention, and they read up a little bit, and mm-hmm. then they read things like uh, how, how. I mean, I loved John Hopkins' little anecdote about him lugging his typewriter in, <laughs> and that he, you know, that, that when you realize there was somebody who just did all these other things in the game and continued to be an ambassador the way he was. Uh, and and wrote and and just uh, advocated for for the international sport in Australia and and then I think juxtaposed with um, Greg Norman and the body <laughs> issue it was just no and I mean that of I don't course. mean that to be no 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 it really was a beautiful yep uh, way of of summing up a, a beautiful life lived uh, devoted to the sport and done with just pure class uh, and and Greg helped actually kind of in a in a funny way. Uh, I think comfort 
people or, or not comfort, but make them more appreciative and more open to uh, hearing about uh, his life and uh, life and times. And, and then also envisioning when he did it and realizing how difficult it was to do that at the time mm. with uh, travel. And, and can't recommend enough quotes, and I must have said this a thousand times in the last two weeks. His writing is, I think, his biggest contribution to the game because we can read it mm. forever. And anybody who hasn't read some anything of Thompson's, it is absolutely. It will change the way you think about the game for the better, uh, and it'll make you think. And it's beautifully written. It's, it's it, everything about it's fantastic, isn't it, Clay? His writing is just phenomenal, and it's a joy to read, a pleasure to read. And you, you and, and you don't have to agree with what he says, no. Because you just, it, but, but it makes you think about. Yeah. And and he wouldn't want you to agree with everything, but it certainly makes you think about mm. the game and think about what he's saying. And of course, when I was a kid, I thought most of the things he wrote were stupid, but. As I've gotten older, I realised that he was almost always right, and I was almost always wrong. And it, and and he he thought brilliantly about the game and how to play it, and he understood it was a. a as Daniel Andrews quoted in the, the service yesterday, he said, "Someone asked Thompson about his score. He said, what relevance is my score, whether it was seventy six or seventy seven, when you compare it with the casualties today in Vietnam?" And he absolutely yeah. had the whole game in perspective, and he, and, mm-hmm. and he understood it was a game and it wasn't serious, and mm-hmm. you know, and, he, and he he took it seriously. But in, in a sense, he didn't play it seriously, although he did. If you get what I mean, it, yeah, yeah, not making a lot of well, sense. It was his job, and he worked you know, at doing his job properly. But he had his yeah. job in perspective, as you said, Clay. She went to his house many times. No sign anywhere that he was even a golfer, which is not extraordinary. Which not, is, a, not a not a hit, not a club, not a book, not a. Wow, it's mandatory oh. to have a putter in the hallway, isn't it? At least to just have yeah, a putter yeah, lead yeah. that you've been practicing with before people arrive. It's um, yeah, oh. extraordinary human being, and he would make jokes about the trophies that Mary would turn them around the back and put flowers in them, so no one knew what they were. But, you, know, <laughs> you know, the vase. Uh, uh, and he told me one of the vase it'll be full of flowers. But didn't he give his sons yeah. the claret jug to take to school for show and tell? Andrew told that story yesterday. He <laughs> no. was four years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he came back with the he, he took the claret jug to show and tell when he was five years old. <laughs> and he came back home and burst into tears. And he said the kids all joked at me. He said, one kid said, My dad's got twelve of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was a claret. But yeah, he said he said I came back and I burst into tears. The, the, the kids all laughed at me. One kid said, my dad's got 12 of them. Dear, wouldn't and you love to like, find all the kids from that class and ask what their memory of that was now, looking yeah. back all those yeah, years. Yeah. The claret jug, yeah. it's extraordinary. I remember him at uh, the Asia-Pacific Amateur in 2014 at Royal Melbourne Clates. Uh, Peter was there, as he was at just about every significant golf event that it was ever held in Australia forever. And he had his – might have even been a great grandson with him, a little kid. And they were in yeah, the foyer yeah. there at Royal Melbourne where they had the three trophies. They had the Asia-Pacific trophy, the claret jug, and I think the Masters trophy – was there and he was just standing there sort of pointing it out to the little bloke and telling him how he'd won it a few times you know a whole other lifetime it was just a beautiful moment just to see it there you know just explain it was just wonderful stuff and there it was and here he was it was uh just phenomenal so yeah just a, an incredible an incredible contributor to the game shack i don't know that anybody's ever made a bigger contribution than peter thompson i'm not sure that anybody ever will certainly those who were sitting in their hotel rooms not taking the limousine ride could all learn a little bit from reading Peter Thompson's book, I suspect, about what they do for a living and how lucky they are to be doing it. So uh, there they you go. They and they won't. <laughs> no, we... Hey, on that happy note. On that happy note, <laughs> let's end it. We've made you late enough for your appointment, Jack. Been fabulous to have you aboard. Thank you for your time today. I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, always. As enjoy- always. Yeah, as always. Clay, it's always great to talk to you, and more Thompson stories aren't a bad thing. Great to uh, Thanks, have you on board today. Thank you. And that's it for episode, I'm going to say, 79 uh, of State of the Game. We'll be back to do it all. We will be doing some more regular programming. More about that in the next episode. <coughs> Pardon me coming up, but thank you for listening today and look forward to your company again next time here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.